0: Welcome to the latest episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Schimpoli, News Director at APPA. Our guest on this episode is Tom Kent, CEO of Nebraska Public Power District. Tom was appointed NPPD's President and CEO in May 2020. Tom, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you. Good morning, Paul. It's great to be with you this morning.
0: In in preparing for this interview, one of the things that jumped out at me is is you've had a long career uh, at NPPD, starting when you joined in May 1990. So could you talk about your career path at the utility leading up to your current position as president and CEO?
1: Sure, be happy to. Yeah, as you mentioned, I started at Nebraska Public Power District in May 1990 as an engineer at Cooper Nuclear Station, uh, which is uh, our nuclear power plant south of Brownville, Nebraska. Uh, I came out of the United States Navy, so I went to University of Nebraska, got my undergraduate degree in electrical engineering, and joined the Navy as an instructor in their nuclear power program. Uh, spent five years in the Navy, and then after the Navy, my wife and I and our uh, at that time young son moved back to Nebraska. Wanted to to be closer to family and uh, started a great career at MPPD. I spent about four and a half, five years at uh, Cooper Nuclear Station, was really interested in learning more about the rest of the district's operations as an integrated utility. So I looked for opportunities to move into to other parts of the organization. And I was selected as a district manager in 1994 um, in our retail operations division. So I was responsible for customer service and distribution operations in the western part of Nebraska. And then after that, I was uh, promoted to a regional manager in 1996, so basically responsible for the entire panhandle of the state of Nebraska and our retail operations out there. Moved into various project management roles around Y2K. Uh, I worked with the IT organization. I was on the business side, leading a business team to look at how we could use technology to uh, improve our operations. Uh, we built our call center in that time frame. I was responsible for that project, and uh, out of all all that project work. I became the retail division's customer care manager in 1999, then was appointed MPPD's first chief information officer in 2001, did some project management work at Cooper Nuclear Station in the 2005 timeframe, working on independent spent fuel storage and some other projects at that time. Uh, Came back to our corporate office in 2006 as planning and risk manager and was responsible uh, for leading our 2008 integrated resource plan. Became transmission distribution manager in the 2008 uh, time frame responsible for all of our uh, transmission distribution field operations across the state, was appointed chief operating officer in 2011, and then was appointed CEO in in uh, and 20 so I mean, it's been a great career I've moved around the state a lot lived in a lot of different locations got to do a lot of different things in our business and probably the biggest thing I learned in my career is is just the quality of people we have in our organization all over the state and it's really the team across the state that makes makes us successful and that's one of the big hallmarks of public power whether you're here in Nebraska with NPPD or in any other public power organization is the wonderful people that work uh, to deliver. Low-cost uh, energy, reliable energy to our customers.
0: Just wanted to to, to hone in on on one of the big big issues for utilities across the us right now is you know and that's specifically supply chain challenges last summer in a media briefing you detailed how nppd has taken a proactive approach in response to these challenges so could you describe for our listeners uh how your, how you're how the utilities proactively responding to these challenges and where do things currently stand in terms of meeting supply chain challenges
1: yeah, and supply chain is a big challenge for us as well as everyone else in the industry. It's certainly been a big topic at the various uh, APPA meetings I've been to over the last couple of years. We actually started looking at this really closely in the pandemic in the 2020 time frame. We were kind of looking ahead and thinking about our refueling outages coming up at our nuclear power plant and some of the major outages at our other power plants and some of the transmission and distribution work we had on our plan and so to get ahead of it, we formed a, a Tiger team of staff to really start working with uh, our vendors um, and make sure that we were ahead of the game working with them to make sure we had the supplies when we needed them um, to conduct our work, mainly our, our planned work around our transmission system and our, our refueling outages. but that time to get ahead of the game and start working and making sure that we had close relationships with our vendors has really um, paid off and helped us in some ways. Uh, this past year, you know, we live in the Midwest, so you get severe severe storms in the dead of winter and severe storms in the spring and, and summer. And we had several, over a span of about 12 weeks, several storms that were significantly impacting our system. And we were able to get our way through that um, by being proactive and staying ahead of What we were going to need from supply chain standpoint. Like most utilities, we maintain what we call storm stock to ensure we have enough material to handle a certain amount of work when there's an emergency. We actually worked through most of that through the storm season. Um, We were able to again partner with our vendors to try and get that resupplied as quickly as possible. We also in the in the past year really have been focusing with our wholesale customers, the smaller public power districts and municipal municipalities we serve, to try and partner and leverage. and help each other out when it comes to supply chain issues, doing things like uh, sharing distribution transformers, cable, those kinds of things, and working together, um, again, across uh, our peers at APPA and uh, NRECA to find ways to leverage and, and simplify procurement items. And I think that's been uh, fairly successful as well. Um, but it just takes a it takes a lot of proactive work. It takes a lot of communication, a willingness to help each other out, and uh, you know share information with peer utilities and trying to leverage those things in terms of impact. I mean, we've seen you know the timeline for materials like transformers and and conductor and those kinds of things double or more than double trucks and service trucks and digger derrick trucks the lead times for those have more than doubled. So probably the other aspect of this is to get the planning horizon pushed out further ahead. And and as you're planning projects and working with your engineering teams and project management teams, you're pushing further out into the future so you can identify those needs uh, earlier and manage your way through the increased uh, lead times uh, that we're really starting to see for a lot of those activities.
0: Even informally, are you guys anticipating, I assume, that this is going to continue to be a challenge through the balance of this year and perhaps beyond?
1: Yes, I would say we we believe it will be, and, and we're, we're approaching business from that standpoint. We just asked our board um, this past month to pre-authorize us to procure some materials earlier than we normally would for a couple of uh, transmission projects that we're doing. We're, we're building some new 115,000 volt transmission line in a couple parts of our service territory, primarily because the lead times we're looking at are significantly longer than traditional. So I expect over the next year to two years, we're going to be dealing with the supply chain issue. I think there'll be an end. I'm not sure if it's one year, two years, three years, whatever, but I think we'll see things move back to more of a normal Um, cadence when it comes to supply chain issues. But in the meantime, there's a lot of value and benefit to continuing to do what we've been doing, working closely with our customers, working with our peers in the industry to try and leverage as best we can opportunities to manage the challenges.
0: And I apologize if if you already touched on this, I don't think you did. So as as we transitioned and the utility transition from um twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two, did do you have a sense as to whether there were lessons learned kind of early on in this process, but whether it's the utility or the broader industry that that could be applicable to to this year?
1: Yeah, I would say that from um lessons learned and opportunity standpoint as we've seen and this is probably on the broader national issue uh, you look at things like distribution transformers and and uh, if we can work together as an industry to s- to create more standard specifications for purchasing transformers in designing transformers i think that helps us manage supply chain issues i don't remember the numbers uh exactly but uh, there's a there's a very large number of different specifications that we're asking a, a small number of vendors to provide our industry when it comes to things like distribution transformers so how can we work together with our customers and others in the industries to find more standardization in those specifications so we're making you know less variance in terms of the materials that are being made into transformers that are ultimately bought um, those kinds of things help simplify the supply chain process and help you know improve the amount of time it takes to get things uh, when you have more standardization and that's that's uh i think something that from a lesson standpoint people are really starting to recognize and understand and it's also a pretty big challenge to to start to standardize on a smaller number of different specifications
0: right that's not going to happen overnight right long term. Um so just switching topics um, in late 2021 as you know NPPD's board of directors approved a goal to achieve net zero carbon emissions from generation resources by 2050. Could you tell our listeners how NPPD plans to meet that goal?
1: Uh sure, I can tell you where we are today and what we're doing. It's a goal and that's the challenge I think we're all seeing to to say that we know exactly how we're going to get to net carbon zero by 2050 or 2040. I think everyone from my estimation anyway, and everyone's probably too big of a generalization, is, is fairly comfortable that we can get most of the way there with today's technology. But the last 10% to get from maybe 90% carbon neutral to uh, 100% carbon neutral, where we basically offset any remaining carbon generation uh, from our resource mix. That last 10% is still a hard nut to crack. And uh, I think everyone's trying to understand the best way to do that. And I believe that as we move from now to 2050, we're gonna see some technologies develop and mature um, and become more economic that will allow us to do that. Whether it's uh, storage technologies, Uh, with batteries or some other type of storage, Uh, the advanced nuclear technologies that we're starting to see uh, more discussion on with small modular reactors or things like carbon capture and sequestration. Those things are technologies that are yet to be proven economically, but are all technologies that we, um, I think as an industry are watching closely and counting on being there. Right now in PPD, when we look at how we serve our customers with our resource mix, we're about 62% carbon free for the energy we use to serve our customers, and a big majority of that comes from our nuclear power plant. We also have a decent amount of renewable resources and hydro resources, which I put in that renewable mix. So quite a bit of that comes from preference power purchases from Western Area Power Administration. We're right now working on our integrated resource plan, which we update every five years. So we're in the process of evaluating different options that we can use to move forward to meet those carbon goals, Certainly, as we look at that future uh, as a nuclear operating utility, one of 21 in the country, uh, I believe, we believe that nuclear power is a big part of ensuring carbon-free uh, resources that also are dispatchable and can respond to customer needs, that with a mix of renewable resources, natural gas resources over time, and potentially um, other fossil resources with carbon capture and sequestration. I really think it's important to maintain a diverse resource mix, and that's certainly one of the things we're focused on. And, and again, as I mentioned earlier, I can see a path to to 90 percent with what we know today um, that, you know, give or take that last 10 percent or so,
0: we're all still trying to figure out as an industry. And you, you noted uh MPPD's existing nuclear power plant there's been some states that have been um, taking another look at, at keeping some nuclear power plants online uh, California comes to mind I think there's also an effort in Michigan so do, do you have a sense from from where you're sitting at as as the uh, as the CEO and president of MPBd as to whether you know that it, it seems like there's a growing recognition that nuclear's got to be part of this effort
1: yeah I, c- I completely agree and that's one of our For NPPD, one of our strategic advantages, as I mentioned, we are a nuclear operating utility. We have the staff and the training and and have uh, demonstrated the ability to operate a nuclear power plant at a high level of excellence and safety, and so we maintain that that license uh, from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and that trust from the public and industry. And that's something that if you're in this business, you have to do well and you have to do well every day. And that's certainly what we are committed to, as well as the other 20 nuclear operating utilities across the nation. But that puts us in a good position to understand. What it takes to operate a nuclear power plant, uh, nuclear power plants are unique and different from any other type of production of electricity that we have today. And that's primarily because the, the reactor itself, um, you have to ensure that you maintain that and cool that even after it's shut down. And so that's where the safety systems come in, and and, and uh, all the training comes in to ensure that you protect that reactor core, um, because that is a it's a it's a different animal than any other type of generation resource. So we do that well, as does the rest of the industry. Um, it's uh, you know the safety record for the nuclear power industry is is higher than than any others uh, in any other industry, and that's something that we can leverage as we move forward uh, to invest in advanced nuclear technology, small modular reactors. And as I mentioned, that's something we're watching really close. And I believe that's an important part of our resource mix as we move into the future. So it's probably a few years off yet. I, I think as we look around the country and see what some of the early adopters are doing there, they're talking 29, uh, 2029, 2030 for the the first generation of those small modular reactors and advanced reactors to be in power production. And we watch that really closely. And as we look at our resource plan, we're looking into the first half of the next decade, potentially for making a decision on a small modular reactor deployment. Uh, Our state legislature last year passed a bill that provided funding for studying uh, preliminary sites for small modular reactor deployment. We uh, received that funding from the state just a few weeks ago, and so we are starting a process to do preliminary siting, which is an important next step to look at where potential locations would make the most sense for that next nuclear reactor, uh, small modular reactor design. And then the other thing that we're working very closely on is we're seeing in our integrated resource plan that uh, it's likely that extending the license of cooper nuclear station another 20 years from 2034 to 2054 makes a lot of sense both economically as as well as ensuring carbon-free generation uh, for our customers well into the future so we'll be working on that and talking to our board and bringing a recommendation in the next year or so on a potential license extension for cooper so we can move Cooper another 20 years into the future in terms of its useful life as well as bridge to that next generation of nuclear technology over the next 10 or 15 years.
0: Just turning to the topic of electric vehicles, I know in researching uh, in preparation for this interview, I, 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 one of the things that caught my eye is the fact that MPPD is active on this front. So could you talk about you know what you guys are doing in terms of customer EV incentives and, and charger infrastructure expansion?
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. We've actually invested a lot of effort with our customers in helping to incent the deployment of EV charging both in the home and in the community. We provide incentives to our customers either directly at retail or through our wholesale providers to provide uh, incentives for pre-wiring your home either in a new home construction or in a home remodel so that you can install a level 2 charger at home at your home we provide incentives for those chargers we also provide incentives for level 2 and level 3 chargers in in the community and commercial locations and uh, with nonprofit uh, organizations school districts etc in uh, 2021 we helped provide incentives for 39 different charging stations. 11 of those were DC Level 3 fast chargers. We joined the National Electric Highway Coalition in 20, in 20- 21, which is a collaboration of uh, 60 electric utilities across the nation, to agree to standards in terms of uh, ensuring that there's fast chargers distributed across major transportation corridors, again, to help uh, provide incentives and take away people's concerns about range anxiety, those kinds of things. Um, And it's been a good partnership. It's been a good partnership with our customers. It's been a good partnership um, with others in the industry. And it's something that I think will continue to grow as I look at our industry and I think about uh, the goals we have as a nation to decarbonize over time, decarbonizing the transportation sectors is a significant part of that. And that's a real um, component that the electric industry
0: can use uh, to help accomplish that as well as
1: create opportunities for future growth in our industry.
0: So we've we've touched upon small modular reactors, um, which was my final question. You know you guys earlier this month said you were looking or starting the process of studying sites that could have the potential to host uh, small modular reactors in the state. Yeah, I guess that you know you covered a lot of what I was going to ask you about. The one thing I guess that, that occurred to me was, you know, you mentioned the role of the state legislature and uh, in in this overall process. How how important was that? And and the obviously the funding element was a key part as well. Can you kind of go into more details in terms of? I mean, I guess I'm looking at this from a perspective of if there's another public power utility out there who may be considering SMRs. What was the process that that led you to this decision?
1: So probably a couple of things. We'll start about the process that led us to the decision. Mm-hmm. Again, as a nuclear operating utility with the experience, and we've been in the nuclear operations business for sixty plus years, both at Cooper Nuclear Station and previous to that at our Sheldon Power Plant south of Lincoln. Our one of our predecessor organizations participated in the development of. Uh, pilot test reactor to look at different types of technology for commercial power generation back in the early 60s. It was the Hallam Nuclear Power Facility. So we've been in this business and have had a lot of experience doing this successfully. So I think that's the, the starting point is understanding that this is one of your strengths and one of our strengths and something that we want to leverage into the future, especially as you think about ways to create dispatchable economic carbon free generation. Nuclear needs to be part of that answer. So that's one piece of it. is it, It's it. A, it a, fits us. It fits our strengths and it fits our experiences. In terms of the Nebraska legislature, they've been very supportive. We have several senators in the legislature that have been very pro-nuclear. The local community has been very supportive of, of Cooper Nuclear Station and supports the, the nuclear power plant operations in the state, as well as uh, previously with Omaha Public Power District. That they're their community supported their operations uh, of their facility. So Nebraska is a a state that's been pretty supportive and friendly to uh, nuclear power operations. That's helpful. The legislators and the leaders in the legislature have been very supportive and certainly their willingness to bring forward a bill to use some of the funds from the american rescue plan act that were allocated to the state to do preliminary siting study around small modular nuclear nuclear reactors was a real important thing to us and i think that kick-started it, this process a little bit because it 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 gives us uh, a head start at understanding where the best locations would be for a new facility and allows us to do that prep work and and the work you need to do in preparation of making a decision on on the technology so i would say the support of the legislature the support of the community and um, our experience and expertise working with nuclear power created the right kind of intersection of of uh expertise and in, in community support that's that really said let's let's go down this road let's take the time to understand and go through a process to identify the best sites for us to look at that next generation technology.
0: So if you're a utility in a community where they, there may not be an existing nuclear power plant or there may be questions about, for example, the safety of nuclear power, how heavy of a lift would it be for a utility, do you think, to kind of make the case to the public at large that for a number of reasons, including the environment and being carbon free and the need to kind of balance out you know, renewables, for example, how heavy of a lift do you, do you think that would be?
1: It's going to depend somewhat on the community, um, but certainly if you're in an area or a utility that has no experience with nuclear power and you're looking at a community that has no experience with nuclear power, the the lift is going to be heavier because there's there's that public perception that may or may not exist, again, depending on on the community, uh, about what nuclear power is or isn't. And that's created by all sorts of fact and fiction things that people absorb from the environment around them, whether it's social media or watching movies or or whatever it might be. And so you have to go through an education process to discuss what the facts are around nuclear power and to answer the questions of the community and develop that trust and understanding of that, whether that makes the right sense for that community or not. What I find interesting over the last couple of years, it seems like, that in even parts of the country that you would say might be more uh, inherently opposed to this kind of technology, they're really starting to think about and understand the benefits of this technology, the fact that this technology is very safe and how it helps solve other more pressing issues, carbon emissions, for example. I mean, the state of California uh, has really gotten a lot more positive, I guess, about about nuclear power technology and maintaining their existing reactor to help them bridge and address reliability and resiliency of their power supply while uh, maintaining that carbon-free resource. So, as you start to think about all the challenges we see and have honest discussions about what nuclear power is and what nuclear power can do and how safe nuclear power is, um, I think... That's a, a lift that can be accomplished in most communities, but it, it takes the work, it takes the outreach, it takes um, the time to have an honest dialogue o- about the strengths and the challenges.
0: Well, thanks so much for, again, for taking the time out of your day to speak with us. has been a very illuminating conversation, and we'd love to have you back uh, perhaps sometime next year. Uh, we can revisit some of these topics and, and other uh, topics that you'd like to discuss.
1: That sounds terrific, Paul. I really appreciate your time today and wish everyone a great week. Take care. Thanks,
0: Tom. Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Power Now, which is produced by Julio Guerrero, Graphic and Digital Designer APPA. I'm Paul Schimpoli, and we'll be back next week with more from the world of public power.